All right, if you have your Bibles, or whatever you're looking at God's Word on, app, Bible, however that is, if you would open to Acts chapter 1, we're going to start over from the beginning. I'm just kidding. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And once you find that, if you would, in honor of God and His Word, let's stand and I'll read this for us together. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, and speaking of Jesus. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when he had come together, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. You know, as we began working through the book of Acts last year, it was just after Easter that we started to work our way through the book of Acts. And every week, we would come into this room and we opened up this literary account of the birth of the Jesus movement. After Jesus' death, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, that we had the birth of this movement of those who would follow Jesus. They called themselves the way. We call it the early church. But this is the movement that is spawned by the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and message of Jesus. And we've been doing it for a year. We've been doing it for a whole year. And maybe you've been in and out during that time. Maybe you've been live streaming. Maybe you, I mean, last year is still a crazy year and we're, we're still on our way out of it. But we, as you went through the book of Acts, as we went through the book of Acts, after a long journey, I like to take a couple steps back and just reflect. Like you don't spend so much time in one thing without kind of looking back and thinking, well, what, what do we take away from this? What are some lessons learned from the book of Acts? Sometimes we get in the weeds, we see the trees, but it, at the end of the whole thing, it's good to take a step back and revisit the forest and just kind of ask some questions. What has God impressed on our hearts, on your heart, on my heart, after going through 28 chapters and a whole year of teaching in this one book? And I want to just take the next two weeks to do just that, to ask some questions about what has stood out. So just a little, we're going to, so a little bit of, just step aside here, a little Bible study with Uncle Craig, okay? What are we, what are we doing when we come to our Bible? What are we doing when we read the book of Acts? Now, for me, there, there really are two main things that I do when I come to a passage of Scripture or when I read through an entire book of Scripture, And the first thing is this, and this is one thing that I think is important for any communicative act. Anytime you're communicating with someone else, 
the first thing you want to do is you want to try to figure out what is the author's intended meaning. What did the, so when Luke sat down to write this, and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean that he was writing like in a trance and his arm was just moving. That's not the way we understand inspiration. That God inspires, the Holy Spirit inspires Luke, and Luke sits down to write. And when Luke is writing, he's trying to say something. You might have that experience in your marriage. You're like, I'm trying to say something would you please listen to me, right? Like sometimes we, and and sometimes we're like, you know, it doesn't really matter about intention and things like that until the Starbucks barista messes up your order. Like, you know, if you, anyway, author's intended meaning, we do, we respect that God has worked through this person, Luke. So the first thing that we do when we come to any passage of scripture is we try to figure out, well, what it said, what did Luke have in mind when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. So why did, it write, why did Luke write it this way? What is he trying to do? Now, that's the first thing. That's the primary thing. When we read Scripture, we're trying to figure out what did it say, what does it mean? Okay, now, there's author's intended meaning, but there's another thing that I want to encourage you to do and that I do when I come to a passage. Because this is not the first time that I've studied through the book of Acts. And every time we study through the Bible, we study through a passage, we are also at a different space in our own lives. The first time I studied the book of Acts, I was a new believer, I was on a missions trip, I was 14 years old, and we were going through the book of Acts. And certain things stood out to me as I was reading the book of Acts at that time. A lot of the foreign exotic locations, things like that. When I went to college, I took a class on the book of Acts, missions in Acts. And when I studied that time, there were other things that stood out to me because I was at a different place in my life. Do you guys ever experience this? When you come to a passage of scripture, that at one point in your life, you saw certain things in it, certain things stood out. At a different stage of your life, you read it, and new things stand out. The reason that happens is because of the Holy Spirit, (laughs) okay? Just a little bit of a primer on this, that there's a the circumstances of our lives, as well as the Holy Spirit, help us to see fresh things in Scripture. So we have this twofold purpose when we come to like the book of Acts. So this first goal, the first goal of author's intended meaning, this is where it's like we read the Greek, we talk about backgrounds, we show maps, like, and I hope we've done a good job of that as we come to the book of Acts. Just so you guys know, when I do my preparation, I do a lot of that. But I also, when I come to a passage and I come up here to preach, I'm also asking the question, what is standing out about this passage in this particular cultural moment? In my own life, in the life of this community, in the life of our world, it's different than it might have been. And this is why we don't, just can pa- we don't just can sermons and just say, oh, well, we preached on that a couple of years ago. Let's just replay it on the screen for everybody. Because when we come to a passage, we expect that God is working in a fresh way. And so as we come now to the end of the book of Acts, we want to ask the question, I don't, and you might, I would imagine you, a lot of you in here have been, have been believers. You've loved Jesus faithfully for decades, for years and decades. 
And you might have read the book of Acts and studied the book of Acts before, but in this last year, what I want to do today is to begin a process to just ask you, what has stood out to you? What have been the things that have kind of risen to the surface as you read? There are riches and treasures as you dig deep into Scripture. And I know you guys have experienced this in your own Bible study, that you could dig deeply into the riches of, of, of a passage. And I hope you don't think that in 30 minutes or whatever amount of time I have up here, that I'm going to plumb all of those riches out. There's more to come. But as we look at these passages, as we look at this book, we would, I would imagine that for you, in this season, that certain things have bubbled to the surface. And that's been true of me. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about one thing that has stood out to me as I have read the book of Acts and studied the book of Acts this past year. One thing that has stood out to me uh, that I just, I really can't get out of my head. And I'm just going to kind of give a little bit of that. And then next week, we're going to do one more of these things, okay? Is that fair? So it, in some ways, it's not going to be, I'm going to be reflecting, okay, in a lot of ways. And so I appreciate the, the, the leeway you allow me to reflect. All right, so what has stood out to me this time around in the book of Acts? I, I would just, before I even mention anything that stood out to me, again, I want to just challenge you, and I'll come back at the very end to challenge you, what has been something that has stood out to you? Because as I understand it, that's not me preaching sermons to you over and over. I love it when people come up to me after a sermon, they're like, I loved it when you said this. And I'll be like, I don't really ever remember saying that. Because what it means is that, it, 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 not that you weren't listening, it means that the Holy Spirit has somehow intervened in that process and impressed on you something that might not have been in the forefront of the sermon or even the passage, but something has come to your mind. And so I want to challenge you this morning to think back on this year and to ask, as we've gone through the book of Acts, what has been something that stood out to you? So for me, what has stood out to me, and what is something that I want to take away from the book of Acts? And it is this. If there's one thing that has stood out to me more than anything else this go-round in the book of Acts, it is the supporting cast. We've been using this kind of metaphor the, of a show, right, that we have, and we've got this series, and we just had the, seri the, the series finale last week, and, but we have these main characters, right? We've got the first 12 chapters is the Apostle Peter. Maybe John's by him, but if there's a spotlight, it's on Peter. And it's the story is following him around as he is bearing witness to the reality of Jesus. And then from chapter 13, well, in chapter 9, we get the beginning of the story of, of Paul. But then you get into the last thir uh, 13, 15 chapters of the book is all about the Apostle Paul. The spotlight is on him. These are the main characters, right? Well, this time through for me, what's been particularly interesting, fascinating, are the people who come into that spotlight for a moment as they are supporting cast, and then when the spotlight leaves, they still are there living their lives. And this is one of the reasons why this has stood out to me, is that, you know, finding someone that, someone will oftentimes ask, Who, who's your favorite character in the Bible? And people are like, well, yeah, Jesus. You know, okay, Jesus is great. Paul, 
and that's, I, I love the main characters, but sometimes they can feel a little distant, can they not? Like, if you're like, I, I want an example of what faith looks like, and you're like, well, the Apostle Paul, like, you could look at, or, or the Apostle Peter, like, well, look, I don't travel the world, that's not my job. Like, I don't travel the world planting churches, and I'm not an evangelist. And so, one of the things that we do when we look at the Scriptures, we ask the question, who are the examples of faith that inform my own life and my own spiritual formation? Who, who do I look to? Who would be some people that I might look to? And I think Acts has a great supporting cast. And so this morning, I just want to look at three supporting cast members, three real people, three real people who lived in the first century, who loved Jesus, and because of what they did, the world will never be the same. You guys with me? All right, maybe even right now, you got someone that's coming to your mind in the book of Acts. I want to, I want to give you three examples, and we're going to go three places in the book of Acts, three people that I think that really resonate with me in terms of examples, people that might, that might be people you could aspire towards, but people who came into that spotlight for a brief moment, and then the main character leaves and the spotlight follows them, but this character stays and does amazing things in their neighborhood, in their location. Much like us here at Taft Avenue, we are in the city of Orange. If some famous you know, Christian comes through and they speak on the stage, the spotlight follows them out, we remain. And in many ways, in the book of Acts, it is those churches that remain that are the witness, the ultimate witness to who Jesus is. All right, so the first one, turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. All right, Acts chapter 16, this is the first character that to me, I draw, I'm fascinated by. I'm fascinated by this character. Acts 16 and verse 13. I'll read it for us. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. This is Paul coming to the city of Philippi. Where we suppose there was a place of prayer, we sat down, we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia, three verses in the book of Acts. Three verses. I'm fascinated by Lydia. What do we know about Lydia? She was a businesswoman. She was a businesswoman. She sold purple goods. It's like TJ Maxx purple goods. You know, home. <laughs> what that meant is that she had, she sold purple cloth, would have, which would have meant she would have dealt with people that were uh, either royalty or high up in society. But she was a businesswoman. And she was a businesswoman who comes to faith she in turn influences her whole household of servants, family members, to hear the gospel as well. 
And then she offers hospitality to the messengers of the gospel and her home then as a space for this new gathering to take root. She shows up for these three verses, but the impact of her influence is felt not only in this city, but thousands of years later and beyond. And let me just talk a little bit about Lydia and what she may have been part of. But Lydia, as a, as a person that the spotlight is on for really two verses, maybe three verses, and as it leaves, as it leaves with Paul and his companions and turns to other characters, Lydia is a stable faithful presence in that city. Sometimes we don't remember. We might fly over these as we forget. So this is the place where the Apostle Paul it receives hospitality. This is where he stays in her home. This is where that early church in Philippi has the seeds planted in her living room, in her courtyard, in her home. Paul and Timothy are there on the second missionary journey. Paul visits Philippi two more times on the third missionary journey. The Philippian church becomes known for its generosity. When you read in the book of Philippians that Paul writes back to that that church, he says that no other church has partnered with us in the giving and receiving of, of goods as you have from the first day until now. The city of Philippi, the church of Philippi becomes known for its hospitality. It becomes known for its generosity. It sends a representative, Epaphras, to go help Paul. It actually dispatches a a missionary to them. The church believes in what Paul is doing so much that it's giving personnel. Paul boasts of their generosity in 2 Corinthians 8. Imagine that writing to another church, he thinks about Philippi and he says, you guys should be like them, they're so generous. 50 years, well, after Paul is released from prison, it's very likely that he goes back to Philippi before he's ultimately arrested and beheaded under under the persecutions of Nero. Paul visits this church numerous times. 50 years later, 50 years later, Another Christian, Ignatius of Antioch, is traveling to Rome to be martyred. And he comes through Philippi and he says, they were so generous to me. They were so warm. And look, I cannot help but think, 50 years later, because of the hospitality and generosity of this one woman that she sets an entire culture in a community that they would in turn follow her lead of generosity, of warmth, of hospitality. We get two verses of Lydia, but the city of Philippi got a lifetime of ministry from this woman. And even if Paul is a difficult example for you to follow, or Peter's a difficult example to follow, and Jesus is a difficult example to follow too, right? I just want to offer the supporting cast. Lydia might be an example that you can follow. And I'm not talking just to women, I'm talking to men as well. Generosity, hospitality, 
warmth. The supporting cast has caught my attention this time through. And sometimes we have to stop and pause and just think, what must her life have been like and what is her legacy? And we hear about that, and because of what she did, she enabled the Apostle Paul to travel, to preach, but no church partnered with him from the beginning except for that church. And she was the first member, a founding member. And so today, we, we thank Jesus, we thank Jesus for his work in this woman's life and that she can become an example of faith to us. A woman who ran a business heard the gospel. She responded in faith, she opened her home, and she generously supported the mission. And that warmth and generosity and that legacy was alive 50 years later, and it's alive 2,000 years later as we follow her example. Amen? Example number one of the supporting cast. Just taking a little bit of time to look off the spotlight for just a moment. Let's take a look at another one. Who else, who else has... Uh, captured my attention, who, who, who has come to my attention as we've worked through the book of Acts. Second example, and I love it, I love that maybe there are examples that are coming to mind for you. I love it. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 and then in Acts chapter 21, because I, I, we didn't really mention this when we were working through. We did the first part on this character, but not the second part, and I want to just kind of give us a little, a little taste of what this supporting cast member has done. We meet the person of Philip in Acts chapter 6. The early church had a problem with distributing food to widows who didn't have Jewish male head of household. And so they put together seven people who would do that work. The, the most well-known among them was Stephen. Philip may be the second, and then you had five other guys. But Philip is the one that I want to focus on after his friend Stephen is killed. He leaves the city of Jerusalem and takes the gospel with him to the region of Samaria. Look at Acts 8.5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Messiah. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When he heard him, when they heard him, and saw the signs he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was much joy in that city. Philip leaves the city of Jerusalem after his, his friend Stephen is killed. He goes out into Samaria. He's one of the first to do that. He gives the gospel to the Samaritans. They respond in faith. Later on, we see that Philip is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, when the Spirit says, go run into the desert. Go down to Gaza, which has a different meaning today in the news, right? Go down to Gaza, take the desert road, and, go, and when he goes out, he finds a caravan, a caravan leaving Jerusalem, and in this caravan, there's a, there's a high-ranking Ethiopian official, an Ethiopian eunuch, who's having the scroll of Isaiah read out loud to him, he, he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he jumps up onto the chariot and he leads the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. Runs into the desert, following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because of Philip, the nation of Ethiopia will never be the same. One moment 
of obedience. One moment of obedience. And the entire nation of Ethiopia will never be the same because of his faithfulness. But that's not what, that's not, that stands out to me. But what I want to see, look at chapter 21. Go to chapter 21. Because Philip shows up one more time in the book of Acts. We didn't mention it. He shows up one more time. Acts 21, beginning in verse 7. Acts 21, beginning in verse 7. When we had finished, this is Paul coming to Jerusalem. He's done, he's done with his traveling missionary career. He's going to come to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them one day. The next day we departed and came down to Caesarea, the main port of Israel, which is in the region of Samaria. We came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. Now, verse 9. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Okay. When we last saw Philip, he's a single dude running after chariots in the desert. Twenty years later... He's living in the city of Caesarea. He has evidently gotten married and has had four daughters. 20 years later, and they love Jesus. It's a family that loves Jesus. He offers hospitality. You think about Philip. We saw him in the spotlight for a moment. 20 years outside of the spotlight, the spotlight comes back to him. What's he doing? Faithful in a community, putting down roots starting a family, and he has now a new nickname, doesn't he? He's not just Philip, one of the seven. What do they call him? Philip the evangelist. You know what the word uh, the eva- um, evangelist means? The, the word um, evangelize means is euangelia. Euangelizo. You means good, and, and angelia is a message, good message. And so when you evangelize, you good messageize. You give the good message. Philip comes into a community, puts down roots in the community, has kids in the community, they love Jesus, and he becomes known as the guy who brings good news. That's not a reputation that's gained overnight. That's a reputation that comes after years and decades of service. When the spotlight comes back into the realm of Philip, we see him faithful. We see him in a community. We see him loving his family. We see him serving the Lord and giving the good message. And I think for me, that's that's an example. I'm not traveling the world. I am local. You probably are, are similar. You are local. And this is like Lydia, you put down roots, you have a business, and you love the Lord. Like Philip, you're local, you put down roots, you have a family, and you love the Lord. And these are the sorts of things that I think this is when the, when the, the, 
when the book of Acts says you will be my witnesses, you will testify about me, and you'll do it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, yeah, it'll travel, but as it travels along, it's going to drop these seeds that take root, that are the real testimony that's going to change the soil of our culture. Lydia is one, Philip's another. I love that we get this kind of 20-year bookend on Philip. And you wonder what the rest of his life is like. We don't know. But we would imagine that it's marked by faithfulness because that's what it was marked by all throughout. Who's our third? Who's our third? I don't know if this pumps you up. This kind of pumps me up. Like, I love kind of thinking behind the scenes of these, these lives, what would this have been like? Because the truth is, these are the sorts of lives that I interact with every day with you guys. You might not be on the cover of the magazine, you might not be in the spotlight, but you are faithful. You aspire to be faithful, and you aspire to be faithful locally. That's what we're trying to do as a church here. And we ask the question, what does the Lord have for us in terms of our ministry here. And I certainly hope, even as I'm mentioning these words, like generosity and hospitality and warmth and giving the good news and being a pillar in your community, that these might be the sort of things that as you think that the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, you, need, you should aspire to that. That's something about you. That's, that's a word for you. And that's what, for me, I, I want to encourage you to do is to think, what is the Lord laying on your heart with these examples? Maybe it's Lydia, maybe it's Philip, maybe it's another man, this man, Ananias. Let's look back in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, there's two Ananiases, one you don't want to be like, and one you do want to be like. This is the second of those. Ananias. We spent some time when we looked at the conversion of Paul at this man, Ananias. He was a believer in Damascus who God called to restore the sight of Paul after he has an encounter with Jesus. Look at chapter 9 and verse 10. Now, there was a disciple named Ananias. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias! And he said, Here I am, Lord, and the Lord said to him, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He's seen in a vision a man named Ananias. So you can't get out of this one, Ananias. Come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, entered the house, laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized. Ananias stands out to me for a number of reasons. First is this. The Lord calls him to do something and Ananias is like, 
Lord, I don't know if you've had that experience. Okay, I don't know if you had that. I, I'm sure you just obey right off the bat, right? I love Ananias because the Lord's like, I love you, Ananias. And, the re- and I know you're going to question me, so I intentionally gave Saul a vision of a man named Ananias. So you can't get out of this. But I love that, I love one that the Lord has room for Ananias to say, hey, I've heard some things about this guy. And God says, look, no, Ananias, you're my guy. You're my guy. And look, I'm reading alongside of this a a book called 30 Years That Changed the World, and it's basically about the book of Acts and how in these 30 years that we just went through in this last year, it changed the course of Western civilization, changed the course of humanity. Ananias is the epicenter of that change. Obviously, Jesus with Saul, that change, that happens, but God needs human hands and human feet to walk into an unfriendly room, to knock on the door, right, with all this muscle around that Paul has brought, that Saul has brought from Jerusalem, to walk in that room and do something compassionate. You think about Ananias, he finds an enemy and has an act of compassion on his enemy. He restores the sight of his enemy. There's no, there's no assurances that it's not going to be to his own peril. It's just, Ananias, I need you to go. This guy's my chosen instrument. I just need you to do this. I need you to go in. I need you to be compassionate. And then I need you to speak some words to this man. The Apostle Paul, he recounts this conversion three times, or Luke recounts it three times in the book of Acts. The third time is in Acts chapter 22. Turn to Acts chapter 22. Because Paul will talk about Ananias this third time that he retells his story. Acts chapter 22, verse 12. He says, in Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. He came to me, and standing by me, he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And then he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. Could you imagine if somebody came up to you, laid their hands on you, and just said, Our God has appointed you to understand his will. You're called to do something. For Saul, Ananias is that voice. He is that man who restores him. He is that word from the Lord in a human voice, with human hands, with the warmth of a human touch to say, you are God's chosen instrument. Our, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. I think to me, Ananias, when I think about Ananias, I think of 
an act of compassion that is preceded by an act of courage. That he stopped what he was doing, that he walked toward his enemy, not away from his enemy, that he laid hands on his enemy, not to harm his enemy, but to provide the relief and restoration to his enemy. That he was not afraid. He did not consider his life more important than the mission that God had given him. And when we think about all the things that the Apostle Paul has done and where the book of Acts takes the gospel and and Paul is at, the epicenter, the restoration of Paul, the beginning of that is when Ananias comes in in an act of courage for an act of compassion and restoration and then he speaks words, words of exhortation, words of encouragement, words of vocation over this man. And I wonder as we think about our place as those who the spotlight is not on, but God knows and God sees, what might God be putting on your heart? You as a supporting cast member to this grand story of the gospel. Maybe it's hospitality. Maybe you're like, I have a home like Lydia. And I will open it up. I'll make some space for God to do work. I'll gather some people. I'll pray. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's generosity like Lydia. Maybe it's like, look, God has blessed me, and I want to I support missionaries. I want to I give to the Lord. I want to make sure that we are reaching our community. I want to be part of that. Maybe you're like, look, I don't know what I have, but I know there are times where I see someone and I just have a sense I need to go to them and I just need to bless them. I just need to say, I see the Lord working in you. And maybe that's what it is. Whatever it is, maybe like Ananias, maybe you just feel the sense of call towards somebody just to say, look, I just want to encourage you. I love you. I see what you're doing. And I just want to encourage you. I I want you to be bold. I think that God has something for you that I want you to lean into and I want to help you do that. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but it's the supporting cast who does it. They offer hospitality. They offer support. They offer these words. And it would be awesome to hear the whole story of these people, but we only get a couple verses at a time. But in some ways, those are the people that I can relate to the most. They're not going to be on the cover of Time magazine, but they will be known in their community as someone who loves their community, who picks up trash, or who who volunteers at a rummage sale, or who comes and plays on the worship team, or or better yet, works in the switcher room for so those people at home can worship who cannot be here. Whatever it is, I what I want us to do is I want us to lean into our role as a supporting cast. I certainly don't think of myself as the Apostle Paul. Like, I was awesome, whatever. Like, I'm not going to travel the world, but I am going to be faithful here. I'm going to be faithful here, and I'm going to be faithful to the, whatever the ministry is that God puts in front of us. I love in our, in our worship meeting at the beginning, we're just like, look, the Lord has put ministry in front of us today. And for this team, it's a ministry, it's a ministry of simply leading our congregation. 
into the presence of God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up here, but as we think about just what is the ministry that God has put in front of me? As you think about this, as you think about your role as the supporting cast members, your role, what is God calling you to do? Which of these people, and maybe it's none of these three people that are the in the book of these were just they stood out to me Lydia a businesswoman whose of culture and warmth pervades a whole church Philip who raises a family faithfully in a community becomes known as a person who brings good news and Ananias someone who just courageously steps in and offers restoration and compassion to someone who came to arrest him. Let's pray. Let's, let's just bow our heads for a moment. Father, we, we come to you this morning. We're so grateful for the faithfulness of those who have come before us. Examples of life and love and faithfulness to you. And Father, we ask that you would put on our own hearts what we might aspire to, which character in this that we might aspire towards. We thank you for the men and the women of the early Jesus movement, the leaders, those who are behind the scenes. We pray, Father, that we might, as we continue to write this book of Acts, that we would find ourselves faithful, that we would be the words of encouragement, that we would be the restorers, that we would be the bringers of good news, that we would give the acts of compassion, that we would be the steady and sturdy character that a community needs in order to thrive. Father, put that on our heart today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.